Oh, Lord, indeed, nothing compares to the promise that we have in you who love us so dearly. And help us to understand today how we truly can have a brand new beginning through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Jimmy Wayne learned to never trust a soul. That's why he never unpacked his bag. We really can't blame him. Jimmy Wayne never knew his father. And his mother was in jail more than she was out of jail. When he was a small child, his mother got out of jail again and took up with a troublemaker again. They loaded Jimmy into the back seat of their Oldsmobile Delta 88. And for a year, that car was Jimmy's home. He learned never to trust a soul. That's why Jimmy Wayne never unpacked his bag. After living in the back seat of a car for a year, Jimmy Wayne was dumped off at the train depot in Pensacola, Florida. His mother and her boyfriend sped away in their Delta 88. Jimmy Wayne desperately needed a new beginning. We are continuing our sermon series today from the book of Exodus called Let My People Go. And today we're looking at Exodus chapter 34. And it's all about a new beginning. We will get back to the Jimmy Wayne story in a little bit. But today we're going to talk about a new beginning. Aaron, who's Moses' brother, Aaron who is also Israel's high priest. Aaron needs a new beginning. And so does Israel. And most certainly, so do we. A new beginning is absolutely necessary. It certainly was necessary in the Exodus story. Why is that? Well, if we look back in In Exodus chapter 32, we read that Aaron and the Israelites were faced with quite a dilemma. You might even call it a huge crisis. Moses had gone up on Mount Sinai, and they hadn't seen him for 40 days and 40 nights. Where was he? Was Moses dead? Did Moses abandon them? What's going on? And so Aaron and the Israelites grow impatient. And so they make a golden calf and they worship it as their God. Completely forgetting all that the true God had done for them and bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, they bow down and worship this man-made God in the shape of a calf. And then their idolatry led them to immoral behavior an out-and-out rebellion. And what does Moses do when he comes down from Mount Sinai? Well, he smashes those two stone tablets on which were written the Ten Commandments. 
And then he grinds up that golden calf into powder, he mixes it with water, and he makes the people drink it. The Israelites end up with the bitter taste of their idolatry in their mouths, quite literally. Clearly, they all needed a new beginning. So now we pick up the narrative in Exodus 34, starting at the first verse, and it says, Then the Lord, oh, and by the way, whenever in your English Bible, when you see the word Lord all in capital letters, it indicates that the Hebrew name there is Yahweh. Yahweh. There are other names for God. The the name for God the Almighty is Elohim, but Yahweh is the personal name for God. So whenever you see Lord all in capitals, the name is Yahweh. So I'm going to read it that way. It says, then Yahweh told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Let's pause there. All right, thinking about what Aaron and the Israelites did. We shudder, but then let's face it. Are we really all that different from Aaron and the Israelites? I mean, what do we do when we are faced with a dilemma, with a crisis? Don't we too get anxious, maybe even angry, even angry at God at times? Don't we become all too easily impatient, faithless, and self-centered? We all too easily turn to our golden calves, which take all different forms, of course, And we look to those things for our greater good rather than looking to God himself. And if you think about it, God, the holy and righteous and perfect God, that God would have every right to just drop drop all of us off at a train depot in Pensacola, Florida and drive away. In other words, he could have just sent us all to hell and he would have been in his right in doing it. But he doesn't. Our God doesn't do that. Instead, he makes a new beginning totally possible. We come to Exodus 34, verse 5. And it tells us something really significant. It says, Then Yahweh came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name Yahweh. It's significant that it says Yahweh came down. If you've been paying attention through the book of Exodus throughout this series, you probably notice that Yahweh frequently comes down in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 3 verse 8, Yahweh came down in the burning bush to talk to Moses. In Exodus 19.20, Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai where he gave the commands and established the covenant. In Exodus 40, 34, we see that Yahweh came down to fill the tabernacle with the cloud and and with his glory. Do you get it? We can't go up to God, but he comes down to us right where we are. He comes down to us into the basement of all of our broken commandments. And what does God do when he comes down? Scold us? Shame us? Does he 
berate us or reject us? Does he condemn us? No. What does he do? Well, he did what he did back then. God cries out, as we see in verses 6 and 7. God is saying this, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It's God describing himself. Look what he says about himself. Do you see what this means? A new beginning is totally possible. Look closely at these words that Yahweh used about himself. First of all, he says he is the compassionate and gracious God. Compassionate. The word in Hebrew for compassionate, rachum, is closely related to the Hebrew word for a mother's womb, rachim. They're related, the same word family. And so the idea of compassion, rachum, then, expresses the emotional connection that a mother has for a child in her womb. You moms get this. You know that special connection that you have with that child inside you. There's nothing like it. It's powerful. It's a love that no one can begin to fully express. Only a mom would really know that. That's how God feels about you as his dear child. And if I may borrow the words of the song by the flamingos, God essentially says, my love must be a kind of blind love. I only have eyes for you. Yes, he has loving eyes for you. So Yahweh is, first of all, a compassionate God who loves us dearly. Secondly, Yahweh says he is slow to anger. Oh, thank you, God, that you're slow to being angry. I mean, if God was quick to anger, his compassion wouldn't last a second in my life. If God shot rockets of wrath... Every time that I sinned, I would be blown away to smithereens. And frankly, so would you. But God shouts from Sinai, I am slow to anger, indicating his loving patience toward us. Thirdly, he says he is abounding in steadfast love. Abounding in steadfast love. Abounding announces that God's steadfast love is not limited. You know, the, the federal government might act sometimes like it has unlimited resources, spending what isn't really there, putting us in deeper and deeper debt as a nation. But God, differently, actually has an infinite treasury of steadfast love. And his infinite resources of love will never run out. God go in debt? God be bankrupt? Never, ever. He abounds in steadfast love. Finally, he speaks of his greatest action. When he's describing himself, he speaks about his greatest action. That is forgiving wickedness, 
rebellion, and sin. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. You know, there are only three Hebrew words in the Old Testament for sin. And all three of them God uses right here in this verse. Wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Why, do you, why does he use all three of them here? To show that he forgives every type of sin there is. Nothing is too big for God to forgive. Wickedness here means twisted depravity. It means we are crooked and bent in the wrong direction, away from God in our sinful nature. Rebellion refers to treason against our covenant king, Yahweh. Treason, rebellion. And sin means missing the mark. The Ten Commandments are the bullseye of the target, okay? And we take aim and we miss them all too many times, don't we? We sin by missing the mark. Well, God mentions all three. Wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And the point, again, no sin is too great for Yahweh to forgive. God, your God, forgives it all. But how? Friends, that brings us to Palm Sunday and why we are here today at the start of this week. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a Sunday. But no doubt his thoughts center on what would happen at the end of the week on Friday. The people are laying down their garments in front of him. They're waving their palm branches and laying them in front of him. And they're they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in Hebrew means Save us now. Save us now. And I'm convinced that for many of the people in the crowd who were shouting Hosanna, what they meant by that was, save us from the Romans. Save us from these foreign overlords who rule over our our land of Israel. Kick them out. Come as a mighty warrior king and get rid of the Roman armies. But Jesus rides into Jerusalem to accomplish a much greater saving than that. For on Friday, he is going to take that huge mess of humanity's sin, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the sins that have ever been committed by anyone, all those who would be committed by anyone in the future, he takes that entire mess of humanity's sin, and what does he do with it? He puts it on himself. And though he is the sinless son of God at the cross, Jesus places all the wickedness, rebellion, and sin of the world on himself and dies for it willingly. You see, Jesus is Yahweh. He is Yahweh in the flesh. He is, to quote Exodus, the compassionate and gracious God. He is the one who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Jesus teaches this love. Jesus lives 
this love. And Jesus demonstrates this love by giving, giving his life and shedding his blood on the cross for you and for me. Palm Sunday announces it. Good Friday shows it. And Easter Sunday celebrates it. Amazing, amazing grace. And that, my friends, is what makes a new beginning totally possible. One day, while aimlessly walking around Pensacola, Florida, Jimmy Wayne, remember Jimmy Wayne? Okay, little Jimmy Wayne spotted a man named Russ working in his garage. And after a little while, Russ and his dear wife, B invited Jimmy to come and live with them in their home. And that home was like heaven. A hot bath, hot meals, even TV. Jimmy Wayne, though, had learned never to trust a soul. It was deep within him. And so Jimmy Wayne still would not unpack his bag. And it demonstrates something for us, friends, that while a new beginning is certainly possible, a new beginning is optional. We can refuse to unpack our bag, so to speak. We can reject divine love. We can say no to God. I'm going to handle this on my own. We can be callous and aloof. Well, that's not what Moses did. Back to Exodus 34, the last verse of our text, verse 8, it says, Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. I invite you, friends, to follow Moses' example. Trust that God is who he says he is. In fact, I encourage you to repeat Yahweh, Yahweh, enough times until his name surpasses all the other voices, overwhelms all the other voices, the voices of shame and fear and blame and guilt. Throw yourself before Yahweh who loves you. Go to the foot of the cross of Jesus and leave all of your burdens there and receive from him a brand new beginning by his grace. To put it another way, I want to encourage you to be a sponge and not a stone, to use an analogy. Be a sponge, not a stone. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, if you put a stone in the ocean, what happens? Its surface gets wet, but the inside of the stone stays untouched, right? Only the surface gets touched. But you place a sponge in the ocean, what happens? It absorbs water. The ocean saturates that entire sponge. It's an illustration of God's love, friends. God's abounding, steadfast love surrounds us like an ocean. It permeates us completely. Think about it. Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday... Easter Sunday, it all declares the love of God all around us all the time. What amazing love. The question is, 
What is your response? Stone or sponge? God's steadfast love for you in Christ makes possible a brand new beginning. That's what St. Paul is writing about in that epistle lesson we heard a moment ago from 2 Corinthians 5 when he says in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Let me ask you, is it time for a new beginning in your life? Are you a stone or a sponge? Jimmy Wayne had been rejected so many times that he was much more like a stone, a hard, unmoved, untouched stone. And we get that, don't we? We really do. That's why Jimmy wouldn't unpack his bag. It took another month before Russ and B convinced Jimmy that their love for him was real, not phony. And so, finally, finally, Jimmy Wayne unpacked his bag. Jimmy Wayne is now a famous country music singer and songwriter. But his new beginning started when he learned to trust, when he finally unpacked his bag and realized he had a home. Friends, it's Palm Sunday. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Your past, whatever it is, is behind you. God's grace is all around you. And a new beginning awaits you by his abounding love. So, now what? Well, it's time to unpack your bag. And why? Why do that? Because you finally have a home. Where? Where? With Jesus. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and your minds at home with Jesus who loves you with an abounding love. Amen.